Hello, everyone. This is Father Reed Henserling at All Saints Episcopal Church, sharing with you the Word of God. Today we are celebrating the seventh Sunday of Easter week. The seventh Sunday of Easter is on Sunday, and it extends through the week. Now, this week, we are going to conclude with the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. So in the lectionary readings, the daily lectionary readings, on the 31st, for those of you that follow these readings in the back of your Book of Common Prayer, you'll see year two, by the way, year two, you'll see Eve of Pentecost scriptures, Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2, and the day of Pentecost, Deuteronomy 16, Acts 4, and John 4. Now, after the day of Pentecost, we will celebrate at the end of that week, we will celebrate Trinity Sunday, and then we will be celebrating for a very long period of time the Sundays after Pentecost. So throughout the summer, this coming summer, all the way to November, we'll be looking at weekly readings that will be during the season of Pentecost, okay? So this is our last week of Easter, the seventh Sunday of Easter, and we'll be celebrating Pentecost on the 31st of May. Now, the way that works, for those of you that are interested, Jesus, of course, suffered and died during the season of Lent. He is raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, and he is present for 40 days, and we celebrated Ascension Day last Thursday. Pentecost is 10 days later, Penta 50, Penta 50 days after his resurrection. So that's how that works. All right, in our readings from May 24th to May 31st, we are continuing with Matthew. So let's look at some of the scriptures in Matthew first. Let's begin with Matthew chapter 8, 5 to 17 on the 25th. And on the 30th, it's Matthew chapter 9, 18 to 26. So what we're going to be studying in this time frame is the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, 5 to 17, we have the faith of the centurion man. He has a servant that's home paralyzed. Jesus says he will go and heal him. Lord, I do not deserve for you to come under my roof, but if you will say the word, my servant will be healed. So Jesus is astonished. He says, your servant's healed, and they find out that he heals the person. The person is healed at that very moment. So we're beginning as we go from the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're now, as we move into chapter 8, we're going to get in the everyday life of Jesus during his three years of sharing the gospel. We're going to see some teaching. We're going to see some teaching, but lots of healings now. So on our Monday reading, please look at this idea of Jesus healing. He also heals Peter's mother-in-law. He also healed the demon-possessed. So he heals someone that's sick. He heals someone that's paralyzed. He heals someone that's demon-possessed. Uh, those, th- that, that's not a magic trick, folks. That is literal healings, and Jesus does that. In chapter 8, 28 to 34, on the 27th, we have the healing of two demon-possessed men, very powerful people, possessed by a demon, and Jesus casts the demon out of them. So what we're learning there is that Jesus has the power over evil spirits. Jesus has the power over evil spirits. Matthew chapter 8, 28 to 34, extends that teaching, and we have the beautiful words of healing that Jesus shares with us. He's showing his mastery over the power of evil, the power of sickness, the power of being paralyzed. 
He also is able to calm the storm. He is able to take care of the winds and the waves in 18 to 27. So this man has power over nature. He has power over demons. He has power over sickness and disease. So look at those scriptures more closely. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, on the 28th, we have another healing. This time a paralyzed person whom his friends brought to Jesus. They went through the roof. He sees their faith. And now we have an interesting story uh, where Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And of course, this is very blasphemous to the Jew- Judaizers. I'm sorry, not the Judaizers, but the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish people, Judaism is that who has or who can forgive sin but God alone? And so they are amazed that this man can do this. Or this man has the audacity to do this. And, of course, he's illustrating that he is God and that he's been sent by God, from God, and he is doing God's will. But they don't understand that. They don't see that, and they miss that. One of the great tragedies of the New Testament. On the 29th, on Thursday, we have the calling of Matthew and the question of fasting. So again, we have the calling of one of the disciples. Remember, he calls 12 men to himself, and Matthew is one of the persons he calls. So there's some theology here in this calling. And then the idea of fasting, and there's another theological point that he's making. So what we see next week, this week, this week of which we celebrate the seventh Sunday of Easter, uh, we are celebrating Jesus's ability to cast out devils, to walk on water, to call people to himself, to continue to teach well, to heal people that are sick, paralyzed. Uh, he also has the power to forgive sins. And we close out on the 30th on Saturday, Matthew chapter 9, 18 to 26. Believe it or not, we close the week with somebody who died. Now, the person dies and Jesus raises them from the dead. Isn't that amazing? It's a woman. It's a young girl. She is actually, there are two healings there. There's a dead girl and there's a sick woman. In other uh, texts, uh, there's a much longer section here, but Matthew's is quite short. My daughter has just died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. And so on the way, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years touched his cloak and she was healed. Your faith has healed you. And then finally he gets to the ruler's house. She's dead. They laugh at him in verse 24. And the crowd goes in. He takes the girl by the hand. She gets up, and the news spread throughout the region. So on his way to raise this girl from the dead, Jesus heals a woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. So just imagine He's doing ministry all day and night. He is touching people's lives, and lots of amazing miracles are happening in the process. Again, this is not a magical act. This is not suggestion or telepathy or anything like that. He literally has the power of God in his life, and he is able to bring that on and minister to people in a very positive way, in a very powerful way. Now, we are going to look at the scriptures for Pentecost uh, at the end of this teaching. Now, in the Old Testament, what we have is we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different scriptures. 
seven different scriptures, and they're all wonderful, and they're all important. Let me just outline them very quickly for you and hope you'll spend some time with them. On May 24th, Sunday, the seventh Sunday of Easter, the actual day, we have Moses and the burning bush. I'm sure you've heard that many times, where God speaks out of a bush that is burning. He identifies who he is. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, he says, I am who I am in terms of his name. So this is a great scripture, very famous. He comes in contact with Moses, and Moses is radically changed as a result of this encounter with God. The second scripture is from Joshua chapter 1. Now, the reason that that scripture is so wonderful is this is Joshua's commission as he begins the process of leading the people into Israel because Moses was not going to do that. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua is commissioned to do this work, chapter 1, 1 through 9, and the Bible says that he is to be strong and courageous. He is going to follow the will of God. God is going to use him. You will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I love reading that scripture and apply it to myself, but first of all, it was applied to Joshua. Joshua is getting ready to defeat lots of enemies, and God wanted to let him know that he was going to fight for him, he was going to be with him, he was going to take care of him. Again, another great scripture, Exodus 3, Joshua 1, very good. 1 Samuel chapter 16, boy, that's a famous text. What is that about? That's about the calling of David to be the anointed one. Remember, Saul was the first king, then David, then Solomon, and things didn't work out very well for Saul. So the Lord calls Samuel and says, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, this is a perfect example of God calling someone. David was not looking to be king. David was in the field tending the sheep. He was oblivious to the fact that God, that he was going to do something great from God. He was just minding his business, minding the sheep. And so Samuel goes before Jesse and he finds seven brothers. And they all pass in front of Samuel. Nope, the Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. He asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? Nope, there's the youngest. He's in the field, tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. Samuel knew that this was the one that was chosen. He was the youngest one. He was ruddy, the Bible says with a fine appearance and handsome features. Rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. This is a fabulous example of the calling of God on someone's life, on the grace of God in someone's life, on the anointing of God in someone's life, where God chooses, God elects. Beautiful scripture. Then we go to Isaiah chapter 4. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah is this wonderful prophet, 66 books of Isaiah, quite extraordinary man. 2 chapter 4, he talks about the branch of the Lord, and of course the branch of the Lord is going to be Jesus. Here's a messianic prophecy. Now Isaiah has lots of prophecies in it. Isaiah the prophet, of course he has lots of prophecies. He's a prophet. Well, he has lots of messianic prophecies. And so Isaiah is quite famous, the most famous, of course, being the 53rd chapter about the crucifixion of Christ. Isaiah 4 through through 6. Zechariah, 
Now, Zechariah is toward the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4, 1 to 14. Chapter 4, 1 to 14. We find that on Wednesday. And he's talking about the golden lampstand and the two olive trees. And the famous verse is verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And, of course, we're getting ready to celebrate. We're getting ready to celebrate Pentecost. So he's talking about the presence of the Spirit and how God is blessing and using him by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah is another great prophet. And this verse is a very famous verse also. 31, 27 to 34. A great promise. Um, The time is coming. I'll make a new covenant. So this is the locus classicus text, if you will, on the coming of the Lord and revealing to the people of Israel the new covenant that he's going to give them. Very famous verse, verse 33. I will put my law on their minds, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a brother saying, know the Lord. They will know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Beautiful passage. Please read that. You might mark that if you do mark your Bible for that scripture. And equally famous and beautiful is the great 36th chapter of Ezekiel, chapter 36, 22 to 27. And it's what the Lord does and how he will sprinkle clean water in verse 25, make us clean, cleanse us from our impurities, cleanse us from our idols. Verse 26, give us a new heart, put a new spirit in, in us, removing our heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, putting our spirit, the spirit on us. Again, back to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as we prepare for Pentecost. Now, from the 25th to the 30th, we have the scriptures in Ephesians. And these are extraordinarily beautiful and powerful, and I'm not going to uh, spend a whole lot of time looking at them because there's, I mean, I, I did a Bible study every week for a couple of years on each of these verses. And so uh, we began on Monday, the 25th, in chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, 1 to 13, and then the next day, Tuesday, on 14 to 21. Please read these scriptures slowly. They're very, very beautiful. Uh, and the, uh, the power of the Spirit is present in them. Just listen to what the Lord is saying to you as you read these texts. They're very, very wonderful and very enriching. I hope you'll enjoy them. On Wednesday, we go to chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. He talks about the church. He talks about the importance of truth. One of my... Um, One of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. We are called to speak the truth in love. And the next day we go 4.17 to 32 and how we're supposed to live. So what Paul does is he talks in the first three chapters about doctrine. And in the last three chapters, he talks about how we're going to live our lives and what that's going to look like and how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to walk and what kind of ethic that we're supposed to have and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. So... In Thursday, he's, he, we have chapter 5, and on Friday, we have parts of chapter 6. And these are just fabulous 
scriptures about how God wants us to behave. You were once darkness, now live in light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Find out what pleases the Lord, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is in verse 17. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Back to the idea of the Holy Spirit being a very important part of our lives. And then the very, very famous 6, 10 to 24, famous because we have the full armor of God, which we take our stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, he says in verse 18, again, as we prepare ourselves for Pentecost, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. So, as you journey through the seventh Sunday of Easter week, you are keep in mind the coming of Pentecost on Sunday as you listen to Matthew. The power of the Spirit is very real to Jesus, and he does all these wonderful miracles, and we have these great texts, some of the better texts in, in the Old Testament, and then finally in Ephesians 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. All right, on the day of Pentecost, of course, we are celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. During the liturgy that day, we'll be celebrating that great uh, chapter, but earlier uh, we have John chapter 4. Now, John chapter 4 is about the woman at the well who receives Jesus' living water, but it's really literal water. But Jesus talks to her about receiving living water, which is himself, which is able to keep her satisfied. 19 to 26. God is spirit, verse 24, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then he identifies himself as the Messiah. God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. The Messiah is revealed. The salvation of the Jews is revealed. This is a wonderful tete-a-tete that these two people have about the coming of the Messiah, the presence of God in people's lives. And of course, underneath all of this is the revelation from the Holy Spirit and the understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives that reveal to us the truth of God through the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, We have one more scripture that I'd like to share with you. Again, I hope you enjoy your week of reading through the lectionary, the seventh Sunday of Easter through to Pentecost, 4, 18 to 21, and 23 to 33. And what this is about is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and what they are going to do is they are going to speak the word of the Lord even though the people want them silenced. The religious leaders want them silenced. But they are going to witness to the truth of Christ. That witness, that empowerment came on in Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2 has already happened. The Spirit has come down upon them. The Spirit has moved upon them. They have now been empowered to share the gospel. They are now sharing the gospel beginning in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And as we go through the book of Acts, you'll, it, some people say that that's the acts of the Holy Spirit. You know, you could title it the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving upon these people very powerfully. He is now witnessing. So we see the effects of the Spirit. So very quickly, a review. So you've got the Old Testament reading where you are getting ready and you're foreshadowing, you are prophesying about 
the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Christ, uh, then Jesus does mighty acts by the power of the Spirit. And then, of course, Paul in Ephesians is talking about the power of the Spirit throughout those texts in 3, 4, 5, and 6. And we see on the day of Pentecost, we see the action of the disciples, how the Spirit has empowered them to do great things, and they must continue to witness to the Spirit. So, may the Lord bless you this week, and enjoy these scriptures. Read them slowly. Let God speak to your heart and mind. Lord God, bless your people and lead them into your truth. May the Holy Spirit be glorified in all of our lives. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. See you next week.